Hello and welcome everyone. Today Tracy and I are going to chat about the tools and processes we use to help teams envision the future. Between us we've used painting, sculpting, collage and rich picture to stimulate new insights. These tools help participants to tap into their intuition and to describe things that can be difficult to articulate. But before we do that, it'd be interesting to check in with Tracy how she used the ideas from our last podcast, which, if I can remind you, is on energizers and icebreakers in her recent Zoom call. Tracy. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you. Um, for those of you who listened to our last podcast, you'll know that I had this huge challenge that I'd been given the task of running a two and a half hour workshop webinar which filled me with terror because it's difficult to maintain people's interest in a classroom and even harder over zoom but this is the reality for many of us um, and you'll remember that barbara gave a few ideas um, in the context of energizers things to keep people engaged you know and uh, to keep them focused on the tasks you're involved in and two of them particularly that she shared which i took and adopted and pivoted on were the Two Lies and a Truth, which I did as a poll question at different points in the workshop. And she also talked about just telling people to take a break, get off their chair, stand up and stretch. So um, I made a slide which was um, stand, stretch and shake it out and uh, tried unsuccessfully to have Taylor Swift in the background, um, which was probably a lucky save because it would have been illegal to do it. But anyway, it was good. So getting people out of their chairs to stand up a really simple thing uh, and everyone had a bit of fun while they were doing it because we could all see each other on our zoom camera um, and so once I started with these ideas I then also built on some of the ideas that Barbara had shared with us and uh, introduced a game and it was actually a simple game of snakes and ladders and uh, we rolled a virtual dice which was a random number generator and had people moving their game along the board which also gave them this you know apart from Engaging them, you know, gave them a bit of incentive to stay till the end of the workshop when there was going to be a prize awarded. So, um, yeah, so I'm finding out conversations of use and uh, and would encourage you all to sort of to take some of the um, ideas we shared and or Barbara shared in the last workshop around keeping people engaged, particularly when you have a really long webinar to be run over Zoom. Yes, anyway, so that's enough of last week and looking backwards. Let's look forward. And this week we're looking at creative processes for helping individuals and teams to envision the future. So, Barbara, if I can pass the mic back to you, what determines what tools you use to help teams to envision the future? Thanks, Tracy, and well done for your, for your Zoom. <laughs> oh, well done. Um, okay, firstly, uh, I would consider the purpose of the exercise. So what is, what are you trying to achieve and in what context are you holding it? So I think that's the first thing. I've used um, a lot of the image work I've done has been in the context of creative problem solving, um, but not, not exclusively. I've also used some uh, as part of personal development workshops and I've used some um, image work to start off really to, to kickstart a change program or a couple of change programs. So I'd look first of all at what, what the purpose is and, and then create the sort of exercise to, to fit that purpose. So for example, um, at stage one of the creative problem solving process, I might use image work to understand the problem. In fact, I nearly always use image work 
to understand the problem. Um, and at the second stage to envision what the end result would be. So the second, the first stage is understanding the problem. The second stage is what will it look like <clears throat> when the problem has been solved? Um, I don't think you can do one without the other in terms of creative problem solving. But if you're doing, if you're using image work in, for example, personal development, then you might step straight into an exercise in designing the future. So to move on from that, um, just to give you some examples of the kind of process I'd use. In stage one, I've asked um, participants to uh, draw or paint. One technique I've used in the past has been to do finger painting, um, which children like doing a lot. Uh, and it's great fun. It, most people are very skeptical when they start it, but it's surprising what comes out of it. Um, collage work which can help to show perception of, of the problem as well as designing the future any of those you can do without or before any discussion in order to allow the intuitive mind to bring out things that they may be unconsciously um, aware of so often when we're working in a logical rational way we're working with our conscious thoughts and we might be um, not taking into account all the differences that unconsciously we're, we're noticing in, a, in, a, in an intuitive way. Um, so I think that that's an important part of, of the process for me. So I think that that kind of sums, sums up um, the kind of use I, I make of, of image work to have it to use it either um, to understand the problem or to use it to create an image for the future. One can come before the other. You can create an image of the future without having done the first one as well. That sounds not too complicated. Um, <clears throat> so before we, we, I mean, I think that that's probably all I want to say at the moment before I pass back to Tracy who's recently published a blog on using painting uh, as an activity for uh, designing the future. So Tracy, tell me more about, or tell us more about the process you'd use. Okay, so I've used painting and sculpting, and um, sculpting is a generous word. The sculpting tools were um, balloons and straws. Um, and I actually had to do that because I was in a facility where it wasn't allowed to paint. So it's amazing what you can do when um, creativity, you think, gets constrained. Um, I was working with teams of general managers of who were country managers and who, um, as Barbara said, started the exercise being a little bit sceptical, thinking it might be a little bit too childish for them. But um, I think by the end, they actually were quite impressed by the insights that emerged from the process. And... My process was simply as follows. So they were grouped into teams, as I said, and they had to come up with a team, either a team painting or a team sculpture. And they were asked to look at a common problem that they all faced, and then to imagine that all the barriers to the problem had been overcome or removed and the perfect result had been, had been, had been achieved. And then they had to represent that either in paint or in sculpture. So, um, I had to give the, so the group did take a little bit of time just discussing the problem, though these were experienced managers and I'd have to say, I think they shared 
um, a fairly common understanding of the problem, but I wasn't in earshot of all, all the group discussions. They then um, spent time creating their, their pictures or their, their, all, all their abstract pieces of art. And then when they came back, they'd come back and explain, you know, when they'd all finished, that there'd be a group spokesperson who'd come and explain the group and the intention of the, um, of, of the painting or the, or, or the art. Uh, and that was it. And, and apart from um, being delivering new insights because they had to use different tools, uh, they, had, they had a lot of fun as well. <laughs> okay, Tracy, you, we've also talked about the benefits of doing this exercise individually versus at the team. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say on that? Yeah, you've got to really think about what are your objectives, your broader objectives in terms of what you're trying to achieve, because there's, there's pros and cons of each. Um, you know, if you do it individually, everyone has the opportunity to, to paint or to sculpt their idea exactly the way they want to. And obviously, like all group work, then it's always a bit of a, everyone has to come to some agreement as to who, you know, as to the ideas that come up and get presented on the, on the representation. So... There is, there's absolutely value in people working individually to, to present their ideas. Um, downside of that is they, some people may feel awkward and exposed. Maybe they, they do think that the quality of their art is at a low level, or they lack skills. Um, and so that needs to be taken into consideration as well, because you want everyone to feel safe and to, to, and to actively contribute to the process. So you do tend to get, you know, more discussion and more exploration when you have it as, as a team effort. And it does have that added benefit of, you know, when it works well. And my experience has always been that it has worked well. It, it has these team building and effects that come from people enjoying doing an activity together. And it means that those people who feel that they are less skilled at painting or, or at sculpting, they can pass that, let someone else take, take ownership of being the driver of that part of the activity. So... You need to think about, you know, so with the group activity, there may be less reflection and probably their work and less expression. Um, but then if you, you know, it depends on what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve. And also, um, you also need to take into consideration time as well. Because obviously, if you do individual activities and depending upon the size of the group, more time is required um, for, for doing the activity and for debriefing and explaining the meaning behind the final result. So you also, um, I think you've mentioned there that the, the team, the benefits and the considerations individual as well. Um, what about the culture of the team? Do you take that into account when choosing your method? Yeah, that's so important. And, uh, you know, sometimes as facilitators, you know, how well we know the team and uh, the group dynamics and how involved everyone gets that absolutely needs to be taken into consideration. I mean, there really has to be, quite frankly, a, a level of sort of trust within the team to do something that perhaps is a little bit risky. Um, Barbara, I know you've got some perspectives on this as well. What, how do you think, you know, you need to, to modify your process based upon how you assess the culture of the team or the climate of the team? Um, that's, that's quite an interesting question, actually, uh, Tracy, because a lot of my workshops have been... Um, with mixed teams rather than with a specific team. In fact, um, a lot of them have been with a sort of mixed random groups almost who've never met before. But I think what, what I'd say there is that I wouldn't go in um, and make this the first exercise. Yeah. So I think it's necessary really to 
use some prior activities that people feel maybe a little bit more comfortable about. So for example, when I've used, when I've done creative problem solving workshops and people have come together from across parts of an organization or from different organizations, then I might start by doing something that's a little bit more comfortable, like producing a rich picture. Mm -hmm. um, a, a rich picture is where you're um, drawing elements of the problem rather than doing, you know, a complete, what you might consider to be a work of art. Um, <laughs> Or a collage, in fact, works well there as well. I mean, I've got people random, you know, who've come together for the first time. And I've often used, got them to just put together a collage of, okay, what do you want to achieve from, from this workshop? Or, or even to do, use a collage for their introductions, which helps them to create the, um, the culture within that group. So you're built, or a climate, let's say, rather than culture. Um, you're building up that that climate of okay, this is going to we're starting to build a little bit of trust between us. We're starting to expose a little bit more about ourselves, and you're also creating the climate of a, a this is going to be a little bit different. Um, yeah. And and then I'd also, of course, always start with um, establishing some ground rules. I think I've forgotten. Probably that's probably the most important thing we need to say yeah. before end. <laughs> Establish ground rules for being respectful, listening to one another, all that kind of thing. So um, going a bit backwards there, but I think that that's probably something we haven't mentioned. <laughs> oh, good late inclusion. I do like that idea. I can see a lot of value in getting them to introduce each other via collage. It's kind of a, a low technical skill thing. It's really cutting and pasting. So, um, yeah, getting them familiar with doing something they don't normally do. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And then scaling up from there to perhaps something, you know, a little bit riskier. Yeah, because you're flagging up right from the start. This is going to be different. And yeah, yeah. people might sort of step back, take a bit of a gulp. And then I, I've, I've rarely had, I have had one or two people who said, I don't want to take part in this, but rarely. So yeah. uh, over the years. Yeah. Have you flagged the expectation um, about what's going to come as a part of the early communication or do you sort of leave it for the first day? Um, expectation in terms of what? What, what, what the activity is going to be like and um, I don't know, it's just sort of just, I was just thinking about, you know, we, we missed the point about establishing ground rules at the beginning uh, in terms of being invited to the event. Um, how do we sort of set the expectations in that initial communication? That's an interesting one as well, because I think the, the, I don't think I've ever run a workshop that's been absolutely blind. So there will have been some expectation set in the invitation to them yeah. or in the fact that they're coming to this as part of um, a wider program. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, a group of 80 I had from a, a multinational where it was a, a, a kickoff of a culture change program and the their expectation was set they were told in terms of they were told that um, the they were given advance notice of this is the kind of thing we're going to be discussing they weren't told in what way they would do it <laughs> that was the, the big difference in that as soon as I walked in the room and got them to move away from their laptops and tables and got out the collage that they were a bit, a little bit taken back initially. But I think that at least they knew 
um, what the purpose was of the process. And then, of course, you go into the ground rules and then explain that you're going to do. And I think I always say things like, I'm, I'm going to be doing something that you may not have done before. Um, I'd really like you to put your trust in me. And then I ask their permission. Yeah. That's something else I always do as well. Are you willing to trust me to, to lead you to something? It's not going to be unsafe, but you might need to take a little bit of a personal risk in this. Um, I might say that as well, dependent on the group. So have we, Tracy, have we covered everything you think there? Can we, shall we move on to key takeaways from the, the session? Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think what we've tried to do, um, hopefully successfully in this podcast, <laughs> is to take you through a little bit of a journey around how we've used image work. You can read more about this in our, um, in our book, Creative, uh, Creativity Cycling. And both Tracy and I have written blogs, uh, Tracy's more recently, on, um, on using image work in, in creativity. But in terms of what we've been talking about um, today, I'd just like to sort of sum up by saying that um, we do believe, both of us, that image work is, is invaluable in creativity. It delivers different insights to the logical, rational mode that we normally work in, in, uh, in organizations. So it can create a different, from which, from which you can take a, a different perspective. It can unearth um, intuitive um, thoughts, thoughts that are perhaps in the unconscious that nobody has actually spoken. And it can be used for different purposes. Um, we've, we've looked at some purposes here, which could be around creative problem solving or um, creating uh, culture change programs, maybe also strategic planning exercises as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tracy, have I missed anything there in summing that up? Oh, I would just sort of add a, a natural outcome seems to be around team building, just getting people doing something together. If you create the right environment and the right culture and expectations, that can be a, an outcome as well, which is like a, it might be a secondary objective or it could be a primary objective. It depends on the team and um, the brief that you've been given about the objective for the process. Absolutely. Uh, actually, that, that really is just connected with me some work I've done in the past around working with dysfunctional teams. Uh, it, it, can be, it can be valuable in, uh, in working with dysfunctional teams as well, in asking them to create the uh, image of how they're working right now and then how they'd like to work in the future. So, Okay, um, so if you found our insights valuable today, um, please share this podcast on your social media channel of, of choice. And um, Tracy and I will be talking to you again in a month's time with our next topic in this series of webinars, uh, sorry, podcasts, what <laughs> <to be> a podcast? <laughs> series of podcasts on uh, creativity. That we've so, decided to call Creativity Snippets. We should yes. announce that. <laughs> You can see it's first thing in the morning for me. It's not really. Crazy. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for uh, for the joining in on the podcast today. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.